Jesus Church College. Join hosts Richard Tamburrow and Molly Inman as they chat with other faculty and guests about church, the Bible, theology, and learning the way of Jesus here in Portland. Today we're talking about grief and the Bible. Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast, House Learning Podcast from Westside. And uh, we are, uh, me and Heather today, we better let you know who the we are. <laughs> we are sort of coming off Sunday in the book of Acts where we talked about the disciples encountering this moment where they needed to kind of process and lament and grieve mm. the, well, the in the foreground is the jarring reality that, man, Judas was a jerk. <laughs> like he betrayed Jesus. He yeah. was one of us. What yeah. do we do with that? You know. <laughs> mm-hmm. But also Jesus. Well, and now well, we watched him go up into the clouds. You know. So they just got a lot going on. And uh, yeah, we wanted to have a really practical conversation. Mm. So theology nerd hat off, <laughs> like boots on the ground hat on, right? And um, yeah, I guess encourage you guys Mm. and help equip you guys because there i mean this cropped up in the book of acts but it's really amazing timing like the amount of people i'm talking to in a pastoral context at the moment who are realizing the level to which this season has left them kind of scarred or with sort of emotional upheaval Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, just mm-hmm. all sorts of things, mm-hmm. and um, loss. Like mm-hmm. last week, I prayed with four people who were bereaved mm-hmm. due to COVID, mm-hmm. and and just. But it's loss of job. It's loss of connectedness to family. It's loss of you know. So it's just yeah, like yeah, we don't want to be like woe is me, but to acknowledge that yes the world is a hard place right now for us like that is a thing it's okay because sometimes the western way is like well let's just be like mega optimistic Mm -hmm. we'll spin the narrative that it's not all that bad Mm -hmm. to make ourselves feel better Mm -hmm. rather than actually naming the thing that's hard and then but here's the practical bit do something about it yes and then, and so like that's a little pastoral like I'm seeing that hardship and people mm-hmm. affect people. Mm-hmm. So as a therapist, what about mm-hmm. you, Heather? Like, because mm-hmm. you've got a window on mm-hmm. how people are at the moment as mm-hmm. well. Absolutely. And boy, as you were talking there, Richard, a couple of things were running through my head that I also see in the therapy office every day. That first one you were talking about, as the disciples were sitting, Judas had betrayed them. Jesus had left. And they had this waiting period. Yeah. And what I see in myself and I see in so many of us, we have such great difficulty waiting. It's the unnamed four-letter word. Right. It's the one we don't think of. But it's totally a dirty word to us. Like, we hate waiting. Right, right. (laughs) And, And so often when grief happens, when loss happens, and we experience that completely natural emotion of grief... We don't want to wait with it. Yeah. So we deny it. We optimize it. Uh, we, you know, shove it aside. Mm-hmm. 
what I see for people that are doing that is the amount of anxiety and depression increases in proportion to how much we want to deny or shove away yeah. any emotion, but we're talking about grief right now. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's a common theme right mm-hmm. now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting. Um, I had a, a another leader I know once talk about waiting mm. and say, how do you know when you've waited? <laughs> And they were using the image of like uh, being on the platform of a train station, yeah. which, yes, in America, you don't use the trains much, but you can imagine. Imagine you're there. Um, you know, if you go to the train station and hang out on the platform for half an hour and then go back home, be yes. like, yeah, the, I, I didn't get the train. Yes. Like, did you wait for the train? Well, no, you spent time on the platform. Yes. Like, you know, you waited from the play for yeah. the train. Okay. Mm-hmm when you get on the train yes and that's that's the interesting sort of practical thing i think because culturally we're not very good at processing our emotions sometimes yeah yes. we're underskilled as mm-hmm. a culture mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. we lack language because mm-hmm. we always talk about mm-hmm. oh you know it's great you share your feeling but mm-hmm. we actually lack good language mm-hmm. we're under equipped to communicate mm-hmm. those mm-hmm. things um, that's almost makes the waiting harder, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. but also because we do. I mean, goodness, there are so many people, and it's like, oh, you've been in avoidance for twenty years now, right? You know, like yes. I, I remember one couple who lost a child, mm. and Anna and I were having dinner with them, and they were like in their late sixties, oh. and that avoidance crumbled mm. from like mm-hmm. fifty years mm-hmm. before, mm-hmm. and. A, beautiful healing moment mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but people don't know how to wait for mm-hmm. because we don't actually have a good awareness mm-hmm. of what lies like at the end of the journey of sure. grief and loss sure you know yeah. cult- culturally what mm-hmm. we think lies at the end of that journey is i'm not affected by it anymore mm-hmm. because i'm really excited mm-hmm. about this other thing mm-hmm. or, or something like that mm-hmm. you know so maybe that's a good place to start is like how would you know whether you'd waited Mm. you know what what are some of the destinations that we could mark like oh that's good i've stepped forward in this journey Mm -hmm. because i think the fear is Mm -hmm. which the enemy also hypes up (laughs) to make us feel threatened of like i feel confused and i feel in pain and i feel frustrated and and it i just don't want it to stay that way Uh uh-huh you know, and maybe the threat is if we process and lament and mm-hmm. do these things, mm-hmm. what we're inviting is just to stay in that place. Right. And we're like, well, that's we're, not a destiny. I don't want to get on that train. Right. Like, that sounds horrific. Right. You know? Yes. Yes. Yeah, so what are some of those things we're actually aiming to move towards? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm, it's a big question, Richard. And, and I really resonate with the waiting on the platform. I'm as a therapist, I'm experiential in terms of how I work, and I often give people the assignment to go sit on a bus stop okay. and wait. Yeah. And they look at me with eyes of horror, yeah. like I could not even do that for five minutes. <laughs> so, um, But when do we know we've waited long enough? Um, the, what, I like the concept of that we don't go through grief, that grief becomes a part of our story. So as we sit in grief, we process through all the emotions that go on with grief, 
And that grieving becomes a part of who we are. Yeah. So it's a really big question. How do you know when you've arrived kind of question? I mean, that's a talk about, yeah, philosophical, theological, yeah. <laughs> therapeutic kind of question. What we're talking about here is trust, I think, mm. is how do we learn to trust God? How do we learn to trust ourselves that we can sit in emotion? We know emotion are neutral signals. They come in like a wave. They recede like a wave. That they will do that and that we can be okay sitting in hard emotions and mm-hmm. in not-so-hard emotions. And I think that's what we're really talking about is how do I center myself to be present And who I am and who God has created to me to be, realize that it's not all joy, joy all the time. However, there is a combination of out of the grief will come joy, out of the loss Mm. can come hope. So we know we've waited when we're comfortable or at least present with the emotions that we're experiencing. And we can ask ourselves, what's the next best step? And listen to the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And he will guide that yeah, next best that. step. And it is, it's a bit of a fuzzy concept, uh-huh. but, it, but it, we can probably do some self-reflection and ask, is that thing that happened and how I feel about that or what that evokes in me, is that something I've integrated? Right. Versus is it keeping me stuck? And that's yes. in a very practical way. And, is... and you can still keep growing and integrating better and learning from it. And Right. Know, but there is a... We, we know what it feels like to have that almost feel like it's an external thing threatening who I am, mm-hmm. like my mm-hmm. identity. Like, I'm not that. I don't feel that way. I'm mm-hmm. not that person. I don't think like that. Mm-hmm. I don't have to deal with that. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's the interesting thing about the anxiety. Like, mm-hmm. so often anxiety is, um, well, actually, I'm going to say you're the specialist. Like, <laughs> this is your area, but, but I'll say it anyway. But sure. something I've noticed, one thing I've noticed about anxiety is very often we feel very secure when um, the sort of illusion of control is strong. Sure. And illusion is yes. the key word there. So so oftentimes it's when these things, they seem threatening to us. Like, I'm not that. I shouldn't. I don't want to have to deal with that. Mm-hmm. They induce the anxiety because they're not integrated. Mm-hmm. Then they haven't become a part of us yet. They we we haven't found the the narrative arc mm. to include it as a part of our story. Mm. It feels like an interruption mm. of our story. Mm. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really mm. hard mm-hmm. to regain that sense mm-hmm. of like, oh, I see how I can use mm-hmm. like me, my mm-hmm. gifts, the mm-hmm. spirit, Jesus, mm-hmm. my church, mm-hmm. my community mm-hmm. to keep writing the story. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like the pen's been mm-hmm. wrested from our hands mm-hmm. and control has disappeared. Right. And we feel right. we feel immobilized. Right. Right. And we often and you remind me, Richard, of how often this is kind of another sign of not wanting to wait. People will come and they'll go, well, this has been horrific, but I'm going to sit in it and I'm going to write a book about it. I'm going to go teach a class on it. And it's so critical that we process through our own emotions for a long period of time before mm. we actually go out and write a book, share the story, because that will generally ignite some of those emotions again. And we're not ready yes. to, to quote unquote, help others in that yeah. way. I've really noticed that in bereavement. Mm-hmm. Like it, it can be really, um, 
I don't know, a sense of togetherness mm-hmm. and I'm not alone mm-hmm. to meet someone mm-hmm. who's at a, same, a similar stage mm-hmm. and a similar storyline mm-hmm. to you. Mm-hmm. But people who are like, oh, yeah, I lost my la- my mum, you know, 20 years ago or something. Yes. They bring a different, like a more stabilizing yes. influence on that p- yeah. person. So, yeah, yeah, I've really noticed that difference yeah. you're talking about. Yeah, which makes me think, Richard, um, the whole notion of how we respond to grief ourselves is indicative of how we will walk with others in grief. Mm. And so that's really important. If we're thinking about helping others through the process that we've just been through, we have to look at how we have gone through it ourselves because that's going to be how we'll go through it with others. So if we're the type of person that says, ooh, this just happened to me, and it's going to be okay, it's all right, it's fine, it's good. That's exactly how we're going to treat others when something yeah. significant happens to them. It's like that's the advice them. we'll give or mm-hmm. that's what we'll look for the opportunity mm-hmm. to show them. Mm-hmm. and Yeah, things mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, is that something... So I guess there's two ways to respond to that observation. Well, probably more than two. But <laughs> we can <laughs> two, go for two. Two big camps that spring to mind um, to simplify the incredibly complicated world of human <laughs> beings. Um, one would be like, is there a way to recognize that's a propensity and then leverage it as a strength? Mm. But the other way would be a like, oh, do I need to recognize that and almost try to step out of that be all things to all men, mm. you know, and guard against it. Mm. You know, is mm-hmm. this a, I guess I'm asking mm. that, that, that reality mm-hmm. that's naturally going to occur mm-hmm. as we try and understand ourselves and understand others mm-hmm. around us mm-hmm. often through the lens of self first. Mm-hmm. Is it a good or bad thing? Mm. You know, is it yeah. dangerous or positive? Mm. Mm. I think it could be both. It depends on how we well, how well we've done our work mm. so that our junk doesn't spill onto somebody else, but rather helps us facilitate the space for somebody else to process through their stuff. Yes. I've got a prime example of this theologically <laughs> uh, to throw in the ring. Okay. The amount of people who've experienced some some loss, some trauma, something hurtful, mm-hmm. and then they've met someone who their way of coping with that was, well, you know, God meant it for good. Mm. God it's part of God's plan. Yep, yep, yep. You know, mm-hmm. and it's a, it's a way. Anna and I were just talking about it last night mm. with um, like some really interesting chat she had Alpha with people. Mm. But um, it's a very common thing to hear from Christians. It is. It's also a very not biblical picture mm-hmm. of how God would interact with us at those times. Mm-hmm. It mm-hmm. it almost makes it sound like that thing that you are labeling as wrong yeah actually someone says you need to relabel as right right you know yeah but but it's amazing to me how further down the line as people develop and process they do often nuance their theology Mm -hmm. of like oh well you know maybe it isn't god's ideal or not what god wants but god can be in the story and Mm. redeeming it Mm -hmm. it's not this isn't a part of my story that God is absent from, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. and there's, there's more nuanced things, but I, mm-hmm, I have bumped into mm-hmm. so many times yeah. people who want to process yes. 
got told. Yes. Just have a childlike faith. Yes. Believe God's got a plan. Yes. And it's almost like someone theologically was telling them, don't process right. whatever you do. Right. That, that will be bad for right. you. Right. Right. And they're probably folks that don't process themselves. And yeah. they have been and told that's that. thing. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's mm-hmm. that dynamic you were talking mm-hmm. about. Exactly. Yep. 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 So the way we do it ourselves will be the way we do it with others. Yes. And, you know, like with any emotion, empathy is the number one way that we want to be with others in grief, with the motion of grief. And I, I taught a class on grief a year ago, and it was for um, moms of kids who, are, who had gone through divorces, or, or the kids, d- divorce or death. One of their parents had died or they were going through divorce. And I interviewed a bunch of kids um, and asked them, what were things people did that were helpful and what were pe- things that people did that were not helpful? And exactly what you were talking about right there, mm. Richard, fell under the unhelpful. It's going to be okay. God has a plan, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. But the helpful things all had to do with empathy, this notion of feeling with somebody else, not for them, but with them, which really says, I'm here present with you. I hear what you are saying. I understand what you're saying, and I really care Mm. for you. And it's, as Brene does great work on this, it's crawling down into that dark hole of pain and simply being present Mm. with somebody else, which oftentimes means no words. It simply means presence. not solving the problem. Right, right. And in that presence... And and isn't it amazing? This is why I love the Lazarus (laughs) story so much. Like Jesus totally had a solution to the problem, but part of what brought health to that community was weeping with them first. Mm. Mm. You know, it's beautiful. It, yeah, it so confuses yeah. us sometimes. Yeah. We're yeah. like, why? Why not just be like, guys? Like, here's the Kleenex. Dry your eyes, man. Right. We don't need to be weeping. Right. It's like, no, no, this is painful. Right. And let's acknowledge and be space for that right right yeah. and we say oh that's so easy that you know just like you said that, that we're not doing anything mm-hmm. but i would step back and challenge all of us how well are you at being with yourself because if you can't be with you silence solitude sitting yeah. in emotion then you can't be with others yeah really and that's that's really practical boots on the ground mm-hmm. Uh, ways for us to grow you know maybe you're someone who is aware of the thing that pains you right now Mm -hmm. or maybe you're not Mm -hmm. but either way having rhythms in your life of practicing silence and solitude prepare you Mm -hmm. for when it's hard to be with yourself yes that you've inhabited that space before you know it can feel somewhat familiar and comfortable yes because there are, I mean, I mean, you know, Tim and I have taught classes for years on spiritual practices, and it's mm. amazing. Like, I'd say 60, 70% of young people, and not just, that's just who we happen to have taught. Sure. This might be true of older people too. <laughs> Probably. But they always struggle when we set a task like this week, I want you to go and practice an hour's solitude every day. Yeah. And a day's solitude this week. Yeah. And that is one of the like homework tasks yes. that people are like, I just couldn't do that one. Yes. Like well, I'll fast. Yes. I'll confess <laughs> sin. Like I'll do all sorts of other stuff, but oh, God forbid. I sh- it's, it's a really hard one. For oh, it's us. a really, oh, it reminds me yeah. of my, my most 
fun example out of counseling when I asked somebody to give up social media. They wanted to work on that. They, mm. they agreed to give it up. And they came in the office and they sat down. They said, quote, I didn't know what to do with the stoplights anymore. And so if we can't sit at the stoplight in silence and solitude, yeah, yeah, yeah. we're certainly not doing an hour a day yeah. or a day a week. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. I want to recommend for you guys, there's a, a really good book on silence and solitude by Ruth Haley Barton. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's interesting. I think it's in that book, in the introduction, she talks about her own experience, actually, of like being a leader and in just busy about God's work and family life, like lots of things. And mm-hmm. she tells a story of being on a, a retreat and just like wanting to resolve like lots of things, like high level of anxiety. Yeah. And the person directing the retreat just said, you've kind of forgotten how to listen to your heart. Yeah. You don't know what your soul's saying. Yep. Like that voice has mm-hmm. become lost to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and out of that, she wrote that book. So yeah. if any of this is resonating, she's yes. an amazing woman, amazing author as well. Could uh-huh. be really good. Uh-huh. I the, completely uh, agree. The other thing out of what you're saying, when you said empathies, number one. Yes. And then I, you're probably wondering, what, like, is Richard doing email? Like, he's grabbed his phone. <laughs> and I'm like, I know this verse is in Hebrews. Where is it? And I couldn't find it. But it's, it's this about Jesus and the kind of priest Jesus is to us. So... Um, we don't have a high priest who's unable to empathize mm. with us in our weakness. And weakness, you know, we tend to think when we feel like we can't get something done. Mm-hmm. But the weakness in terms of all of the the emotions that have the potential mm. to tell us you can't move forward. Mm. Like just our like humanness? That. Our humanness, mm. yeah. But we have a priest who has been tested in every way, just mm. like us, mm. but without failure. So he... What, which verse? Hebrews what? He is Hebrews 4.15. Ah, that's great. So the there is no part of human life... I mean, it's like a theological truth mm-hmm. that any time we're facing something reminds us, Jesus, like it, even if however alone you feel, Jesus can sit with you. Mm-hmm. Jesus understands. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and... As you go on the journey, Jesus overcame. He didn't sin. Mm-hmm. You know, he wasn't destroyed by any of those things that tested him. Mm-hmm. And so he can sit with you all the way through the journey. Mm-hmm. Oh. And boy, like what, looking what at how, offer. yeah, right. Looking, I'm thinking, looking at how Jesus did grief because mm. Jesus did grief well. Yeah. And what did he do, right? I mean, he surrounded himself with community. Yeah. He spent time in silence and solitude. He prayed. Yeah. Let's let's talk about the community bit, actually. Because okay. on Sunday, mm-hmm. like Keith mentioned three things. One was like pray. Yep. He said open up and pray with mm-hmm. someone. Mm-hmm. He talked about prayer again, but in community, mm-hmm. like to surround yourself with community. Mm-hmm. Not in like a have an intervention for, mm-hmm. your, for mm-hmm. your grief, mm-hmm. but have a meal. Mm-hmm. You know, build mm-hmm. a relationship, mm-hmm. like situate your grief in I don't know, I guess maybe integrate it not just in your own story, mm-hmm. but like th- in the stories of others mm-hmm. to, to, yes. help you, to help you process what it looks yes. like to, to situate it. Yes. Um, and then the last one was confession of sin. Mm. But that again is a, that's a we, you mm-hmm. do that with people. Mm-hmm. Thing. And so I thought, okay. And then you just mentioned, you know, <laughs> Jesus surrounded himself with people. Yeah. 
But it's interesting to me that we have a cultural reflex if someone is bereaved or suffered a loss mm-hmm. or, you know, someone lost their job. Like, mm-hmm. well, I don't want to take them for coffee this week because they just lost their job. Right. Yeah. Or We're afraid. Let's not invite them over because, mm-hmm. you know, they, they lost their uncle last week. Yes. So we've got a cultural thing that says when people are in grief, they yeah. ought to be alone. Yeah. I mean, have you ever figured yeah. out where that comes from? Oh, I think it's we are fearful. We're mm. fearful of what we term negative emotions. And for the most part, we have spent a lot of time denying them and shoving them aside mm. or doing unhealthy behaviors, medicating them. So we as a culture are not comfortable as ourselves yes. in that. So far be it for me to want to go sit with somebody else that's grieving. What if they cry? What if, you know, yes. all the dot, 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 dot. Yeah. Yeah. So it's well, just a face of resistance that says, yeah. oh, I got to wait a week. I got to wait three and weeks. And then we might feel like if they did cry, the pressure is on us to stop the crying. Right. We go into this fix-it mode, yes. which, as we've talked, does nothing but exacerbate the grief yes. or the emotion. But we think we need to fix, and we're uncomfortable with being, and yes. so we ignore. Yeah. yeah. And like, like I mentioned earlier, you know, I chatted with four people recently bereaved this yes. last week. Yes. You know, did I solve any problem they had? No. I mean, if there's anything practical I can do, just let, let us know. Right. Like the offer's there. Yeah. But um, like mostly it was an arm around their shoulder mm-hmm. and just not pressuring, mm-hmm. but allowing space mm-hmm. just to listen. Mm. That's to so beautiful. Like, tell me, tell like, what was she like? Yeah. Like, how are you doing? Like, yeah. how's, just, yeah. Yeah, you're letting Emp- them empathize. share their story, yes. Richard. You're letting them share their That's story it. because... They connect with their story that's helping them go yes. through the process. And that's part of the weeness. Exactly. Is because we're not, and actually, I think God designed us to do it together. Mm-hmm. So the fact that alone we find it hard to mm-hmm. situate it and rewrite mm-hmm. our story and figure mm-hmm. it all out is mm-hmm. no surprise because mm-hmm. I don't think God wanted us to mm-hmm. do it alone. <laughs> and that's the reason people use terms like, oh, I'm such a verbal processor and things like that is mm-hmm. like actually. There's something powerful about trying to push something out from the fuzziness mm-hmm. of the emotional realm mm-hmm. into like language or images and Ab- things like that. Absolutely. That helps give it shape to someone else. Yes. But reciprocally, it's helping us yes. give it shape at the same time. Yes. I mean, that's the basis in many ways of psychotherapy to help people externalize the mm. junk that's inside them. And once we can see it out there, we can work with it and we can sit with it in different ways. Yeah. Yep. So if someone's recognizing, I've totally done that. Like (laughs) I I feel I should be alone because I'm hurting at the moment or, you know, anything like that. Yeah. But we're in a culture where um, we know we're under skilled at doing the we part. Yes, yes. Like what's some advice for people practically about how to move into a space where there is someone else included or Mm -hmm. I I can just Mm -hmm. imagine Mm -hmm. people being like, ah, Mm -hmm. like, well, Mm -hmm. actually two sorts of awkwardness. (laughs) One, this person like, ah, I don't want to like invite myself over because I want to cry on someone's shoulder. Right. Right. Like, 
it would be beautiful if we felt like we could do that mm -hmm. but it, yes i get that loads of people won't and also there'll be other people who are like i know that person's hurting yeah. but yeah. i know that if i reach out to them i might be perceived as a threat yes. or something right so like any advice about navigating mm -hmm. into that space mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the first piece of advice i have is start with someone that's safe mm. choose a safe person yeah yeah and Relationships go through lots of stages. So when we talk about building a healthy community, we're talking about what we're talking about now on steroids. Mm. Um, so let's start with one other person yeah. and somebody that is safe for you. Now, let me ask you, what do you mean by safe? Because mm -hmm. I, I sort of think through images of safe people in the movies, like a healthcare professional. Ah, uh, and if like that, and, yeah, like the classic, the vicar, mm -hmm. like you can mm -hmm. always someone mm -hmm. you can trust to be confidential. <clears throat> But we also sometimes think like, oh, this person knows me or this yes. person gets me yes. or this person's walked a lot of my journey mm -hmm. with me or, mm -hmm. yeah. It, it, it might be the former in terms of uh, a mental health therapist, but in my belief is I want to work myself out of a job continually because I want, <laughs> I want people to build these skills in themselves. Yeah. So what I really was talking about is someone that's emotionally safe. If you don't have any emotionally safe person in your world, then going to a therapist, going to a pastor is definitely mm. a good place to start for you. Um, asking people, you know, we, we walk around taking everything personally and making a zillion and one assumptions. Yeah. So asking somebody that you see is grieving or you know is lost, I'd love to come sit with you. Is that something I could do? Yeah. I'd love to do this. Is that something? Let them respond to mm -hmm. you. But step in and ask. But create the opportunity. Create the yeah, opportunity. So that. that's coming from the other side. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, which is good as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's interesting because the conversation about mental health in the UK has been maybe more in the foreground. Mm. And we have more of a, you know, we don't have 26 news channels. We have <laughs> a, a couple. Uh -huh. so, so more unified. But there's grown this sort of socially agreed upon um, framework of like ask people how they are and you've always got to ask three times mm -hmm. of like we know we've got a reflex of like mm -hmm. oh yeah I'm fine mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so it's almost like there's a social consensus in the mm -hmm. UK that it's okay mm. to to like move past mm -hmm. the reflexes yeah yeah which is interesting yeah like America doesn't yeah it doesn't You're, have that mm -hmm. same thing going mm -hmm. on that's okay mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. um but it's a sort of I, I don't know. It's a way of being like someone who's kind and loving to someone. Yeah. Like you might create that opportunity once. Yeah. And they may not have taken you up on it. Right. But I guess what I'm trying to get to is that that doesn't mean they never want it. Yeah. Yeah. Like right. God might be doing a work to right. get them there. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. and, you know, and sometimes people don't want it because they've got the shopping to do and pick mm -hmm. the kids up and mm -hmm. get them to sports that mm -hmm. night. Mm -hmm. Like sometimes it's mm -hmm. nothing sometimes to do with little... their emotional state right. either. You right. Know? Right. So, but, but you know, continuing to show up is what you're talking about, yes, really, Richard, just continuing to show up. And this is the take nothing personally piece. Yes. You know, I reached out to my neighbor and she said no. And I reached out again and she said no. And oh, well, it must be something I'm doing wrong. Take nothing personally. Mm -hmm. Know that what you're doing is something that we're connected, that we were created to be, is we were created to be connected. Now, that's not saying that you want to shove yourself on somebody or stalk somebody. Yeah, there's a kind of persistence <laughs> there, but that's obnoxious. But you can trust your gut on that exactly when the yeah. persistence is beyond helpful. Yeah. yeah. 
So I would just want to finish with a couple of minutes on something mm. we mentioned at the start. Mm. And it's something that as we've prayed this week, mm-hmm. like a Tuesday prayer, we had some staff prayer, like God just saying, I've got joy for you. Mm. And so I knew we would be talking about grief mm-hmm. and after Sunday, mm-hmm. but it got me thinking about like lament Psalms. Mm-hmm. I like, I've just opened a Psalm 130 is a really cool one. Like it begins with this, like out of the depths, I cry to you mm. of just like, you know, I feel <laughs> Like you talk about the waves, yeah, you know, yeah. that image that's in another psalm, like the waves are billowing over mm. me, you know. But the psalm ends with hope in the Lord is real. Mm. Like God loves us. Mm-hmm. His redemption is plentiful. He will redeem. Mm. You know, so mm. it moves from an articulation and a sharing and an acknowledging. Mm-hmm. And actually biblical lament is a practice of like, recognizing god is with you mm-hmm. sitting with you mm-hmm. and actually doing the sitting with right in a safe but, relationship yes in mm-hmm. but but actually naming it and mm-hmm. talking about mm-hmm. it and externalizing mm-hmm. it but it's really interesting that a lot of the lament psalms it they don't go oh the problem solved right <laughs> but in that context of acknowledging it with that person yes. god Yes. Hope and joy and things like that. Yeah. Enter into the story. Yes. And I think it's interesting because we expect the hope and the joy will come when the grief is gone. Yeah. And we're actually, we've got this capacity as humans to feel um, sort of uh, pain and joy at the same time, mm-hmm. to feel loss and hope mm-hmm. at the same time. Mm-hmm. And actually, if, if we don't have some same timeness, mm-hmm. those things never join up. Mm-hmm. And our story is one of sort of truncated chapters mm. that don't connect, mm-hmm. where we don't really learn the lessons. Mm. We don't really see what God's mm. doing or what mm. we're doing. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, mm. there you go. I was like, I was just going to ask you a question. That was like a two minute question. But <laughs> I, I just oh, interested in yeah. yeah your thoughts on it just seems oh. to be something God's stirring up for our yeah. church at the moment. Yeah. So, you know, well, as we talk about grief, yeah. to include that as part of the conversation or mm. part of the journey. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. As you were talking, Richard, the first thing that came to mind is back to the empathy. The reason empathy works is because we're not toasters, we're not machines, we're not to be fixed. Mm. Empathy creates connection. You sitting with those people and not solving anything, but being with them created that connection. And that's the connection that creates healing. Mm. And so in that lament, we are allowing ourselves to connect with God. And Mm. it's that connection that creates healing. So in that connection, we will experience healing and we'll experience a sense of hope. Mm-hmm. and a sense of joy. That doesn't necessarily mean that all the lament, all the grief is out yet, but it begins to integrate as we work through mm. the tough emotions in connection with God and with others through story, we'll see the joy and the hope too. Yes. Yeah. He has the story written for us. We see the joy and the hope in the long run there. Others who have walked maybe a step before us, we see the joy and the hope potentially in their stories as mm-hmm. well. But it's this integration and it's this connection. Yeah. Because I connection is what's going yeah. to quote unquote solve. It's what's yeah. going to heal yeah. the pain. Yeah, yeah. I love that. The healing. Well, in fact, look, I've got a nice scar on my arm. Oh. You know, so <laughs> thinking of scars and mm-hmm. 
you know, there's a, a version of like, yeah, hope will come and then we'll supplant the pain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But actually what healing looks like is like hope comes. Yes. And that hope wears the scar yes. of that pain. Yes. And that scar doesn't diminish the hope. Yes. It actually it empowers it, it contextualizes yes. it. Oh, yes. So it's not an abstract hope, yes. but it's a hope that's actually got its hooks in something yes. and can move you, you know, can be a part yes. of that change into the next chapter, oh. the next step. Which is so rich. And the opposite that is not real, but that we we believe might happen is that, ooh, this fun emotion will come and it will cover this hard emotion. Yes. And that's just really another way of self-medicating, yeah. fantasy, <laughs> denial, all of those things. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, good chat. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Heather. Thank and you, Richard. Everyone, go practice these things. Go pray about these things. And then, uh, yeah, next week, I think we're going to, last week we talked about the Holy Spirit. So mm-hmm. we'll be back maybe in that conversation. And we'll catch you next time. Okay. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of the House of Learning podcast. This podcast is produced by A Jesus Church College, based at Westside A Jesus Church in Portland, Oregon. AJC College trains and mobilizes the next generation of kingdom leaders through an accredited four-year degree in biblical studies with an emphasis on leadership and formation. We combine classroom learning with mentoring and ministry apprenticeship for a third of the cost of traditional college. To find out more, go to ajccollege.org or follow us on Instagram to find out if this is where God could be calling you to explore your calling. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review, subscribe, and share it with someone. And if you have a question you'd like us to chat about, please let us know. You can email us at podcast at ajccollege.org. If you can, send us a 20-second audio recording saying who you are and where you're from, along with your question, and we'd love to include it in a future episode.